without a strategy, a solid sound strategy and like a clear understanding across your marketing teams, how you're directly impacting the business, your tools will, you know, they have no chance. Hey, it's Dan McGaw here. I'm a tech stack nerd and the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw.io. Each week, I get to speak to executives and find out the stack they're using to drive revenue and hit their goals and make everything a reality. This week, I've got Spud Rule. He's the director of marketing over at ClickBank. Managing a stack is a big task. We all know that. But for ClickBank, that stack has essentially doubled. The company operates in the D2C space and in the B2B world. Spud will tell us all about Spark, which is an educational program they developed with the goal of transitioning D2C clients into their B2B marketplace. Spud has been in the game for over a decade, and he spent the last two years of his careers with ClickBank. Today, he joins us to share all about his unique strategy to funnel clients from D2C to the B2B journey, and he'll explain the unique parallel stacks it takes to do that. And he'll also share some of the lessons he's learned over tool migrations that he spearheaded when he switched from Sugar CRM to HubSpot. All right, cool. Let's jump into the interview. My background spans over 12 years in various marketing leadership roles, everything from a co-founder of a marketing agency to senior leadership at Series B startups for a mobile app to a sales alliance manager at HP, and I'm currently at ClickBank as the director of marketing. What are some of the tools that you think that you've really honed in on over the years? HubSpot. I have to mention HubSpot. The entire platform is something I have very deep experience in. I'd say WordPress. I would say a tool that I is kind of like a warm and fuzzy tool to me has been Typeform over the years. Obviously, analytics platforms tie into HubSpot, but GA is always, you know, from my agency years all the way through, GA is just something you have to, as a marketer, get familiar with and understand. Let's change gears a little bit. You know, as somebody who has a background in agencies, you've worked with large clients and then as well as little clients, right? So what is like the difference that you see really between kind of the Cabela's compared to like a local dentist office? What's the difference in the stack? The fundamental differences I've noticed, it's when you look at a large enterprise company, I feel like a lot of times there are a lot of tools that are hired just to hire them. There should be a lot, le- a lot less time spent there, to be honest, in my opinion, and a lot more time spent on like, hey, instead of hiring a good tool f- for a crappy strategy, let's figure out our strategy. I think what's encouraging about that is on the small business side, they have a much more real, <laughs> tangible pain and challenge where I have to figure this out. I need to hire the right tool. And in order to do that, I have to have the right strategy. So I actually appreciate the whole simplicity of that where... It's not just like, hey, let's throw a tool at it. And let's, let's keep stacking tools on top of each other. And it's a lot more focused on like the more high priority and, and ever-present challenges that those guys are dealing with when it comes to the just basic customer acquisition, retaining customers, things like that. So I'd say that's probably the most fundamental difference is that there's just less when it comes to stacks. And I think it's actually a good thing. I think uh, marketers, especially in those large enterprise environments, and we all fall into this trap. We we love tools. I, I love tools, but man, it's so important to keep in mind that they're just tools. With without a strategy, a solid sound strategy, and like a clear understanding across your marketing teams how you're directly impacting the business, your tools will they have no chance. 
Now, in your earlier experiences, um, have you ever used any kind of like enterprise social listening systems or anything like that? I, th- I think you, I heard you'd use Radian 6 at one point. Yeah, Radian 6, you're right. How did you use Radian 6? Like, what were the benefits that you got out of that product? They were pretty focused on listening to competitors and understanding conversations that their competitors were a part of that they were not. You know, hey, it's it's weird. Like, in February, we see this, everyone's talking about this and all these brands that are not us are related to it. We want to be related to that. And so let's let's do campaigns around that. Or things like sentiment. Sentiment was a huge part of their brand level KPIs that they like to pay attention to. So a lot of sentiment around, they, they would break it down by categories, hunting, fishing, et cetera, and study sentiment on social around their brand and how they were doing, positive or negative. It was very, pretty simple back, back then. Analyzing social sentiment is an important part of understanding how the public is perceiving your brand. Knowing how people are talking about you online is great info, but without proper context, you won't know what to do with it. Are there a lot of people talking negatively or just a few people talking positively? Those different scenarios will call for different reactions. But collecting the data can be difficult. If you're a big company sitting there and manually sifting through the comments to gauge if they're good, bad, or something else, it's a big time suck, which is why adding a social sentiment tool to your stack may be a good idea. Spud would have been using Radian 6 prior to the 2011 acquisition by Salesforce. It now exists as the social studio offered with inside of Salesforce. There are also more specific tools for this purpose, such as TalkWalker and RepuState. And in the end, like every tool, it comes down to what works best for your goals, budget, and team. Let's get back to Spud. It had to be very different going from uh, a Cabela's, right? Doing a lot of social media, social listening, things like that, and getting sentiment. And then you moved over to the B2B space and that HR outsourcing company, right? Like, what was the stack like in that role? Yeah, very different. Uh, So our stack at Employers Resource was very HubSpot-centric. That was the first chance where I had to really sink my teeth deeply into a HubSpot instance. You started with Sugar there, though? Yeah, we started with Sugar CRM on the sales side, and we had a WordPress site. That's That's where we started. Sugar was tough, and we quickly identified some key challenges where, hey, you know, the handoff and all the activity for everything we're doing around content, and at the time from, you know, 2014 to 2017, it was when lead gen in general was really booming. Um, So we were doing a lot of lead gen, and what I mean by that is just, you know, just form capture and doing a lot of scoring, qualifying, you know, all the fun stuff we like to talk about, MQL, SQL life cycles. And we were doing a lot of that. And we just quickly identified a challenge where, hey, this HubSpot system, we're doing some really cool things. We're seeing some great inputs. But when it came to that transition and handing that over to Sugar, that's where we immediately were just like, oh gosh, this is bad. <laughs> we need a much smoother handoff. We need a we need a lot more integration and context for when those leads are, are passed over, like where they're coming from and why and who these people are. And that whole challenge is what led us to then, basically, I had to spearhead the, the transition out of Sugar CRM and into HubSpot CRM for our organization. And my goodness, that was that was a learning experience, I'll tell you that much. Um, but at the end of it, we had a really, really well-oiled machine where our lead gen, we had tons of different content initiatives that were that were feeding, both paid and organic, really, that were feeding into a lot of 
persona-based lead lifecycle kind of journeys. And they would be scored. They would continue to raise their hands. We'd, we'd use all kinds of cool signals. And we were pretty heavily reliant on HubSpot scoring to MQL people. Once they were MQL'd, there'd be a process where we would, uh, we worked really closely with our sales team. So that was another part of that experience that is so was so critical in my career is the understanding of, hey, if, if I don't have alignment with sales here, this job is going to be very difficult. And uh, if we don't have the same definitions, if we don't see marketing's contribution and sales contribution in the same way and all, all that fun stuff, basically we would have a great handoff because having a HubSpot marketing database and having your CRM database as one database is just so empowering as a marketing and sales org because what we found is that when the time came to do those handoffs having that really rich timeline for the sales team when they when they go in to look at a lead to follow up with they have just such a rich picture of the life cycle the full life cycle of that contact every page they've touched every email they touched where they you know, first gave us their contact information, the most recent thing they touched, like a lot of really just great context for them to have a much better chance of entering the conversation in the best way possible with the most context they can and, and really providing value you know, right off the, the get-go. And that was, yeah, that was like the stack there was pretty, pretty heavily HubSpot. Obviously, we used other various tools, but Typeform was one of them. Typeform was one that we used a lot actually internally. The sales process was pretty heavily reliant on gathering a lot of information from small businesses. And at the time, the company didn't have a great technology stack to support that. They didn't have like a you know really seamless like PandaDoc or DocuSign to just gather up all this stuff out in the field. And so we turned to Typeform for that and we used it not so much as like a traditional use of the tool as a, you know, more of a lead gen kind of a lead quiz type of a tool like you, you normally see it. We used it as a process tool, actually. So we would, the sales team would actually use these beautiful type forms to gather up the information they would need. And that type form would kick off all kinds of really cool stuff with Zapier and HubSpot and automate a lot of our business processes for uh, the sales kind of enablement uh, motion. And uh, we did some really cool things with that. No, that's awesome. Now, tell me, why did you make the switch, though? I mean, like the big reason for leaving Sugar to go to HubSpot, what was the major migration reason? Sugar was not very friendly to work work with when it comes to HubSpot at the time. I mean, we're talking 2014 when we made that decision. Yeah, and at the time, they just, everyone works well with HubSpot, but they didn't. What were the main challenges you faced with that migration, though? Like, I mean, what would you do again knowing what you know now? Deciding like the contacts to bring and who not to bring was a was a pretty big pain point there. You know, thirty year old company, they and they had been on other CRMs, of course. They've gone through other transitions, but yeah, there was a lot of data there, so it was it was tough trying to decide. And HubSpot, you know, we the plan we were on was it was a contact based pricing model, and uh, you have to decide, hey, what's what's weight that's worth carrying, what's weight that needs to be cut. That was a an interesting challenge there, and I, as far as like what we would do differently, I guess what I would say is probably more focus on the process. I was actually having a great discussion with our director of sales here. He he is an amazing uh, Salesforce admin here at ClickBank as well, and we were talking about just how it's really process that's probably the most key thing. And I, I I'd say if we did it again there at Employers Resource, we would have done a much better job of like being able to say, hey, we can rewrite this 
process at the time. It was a great time to really rethink our pipeline, our stages, our deal stages, you know, all that stuff and really have a well thought out process. And I'd say we would have spent more time on that. Yeah, no process is definitely, you know, going back to strategy, I think this is where most people get lost with the tools is they think the tool is going to give them the process or the tool is going to give them the strategy. And it's like, no, 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 you've got to have that first. I think a lot of people miss that uh, when they get into it. Yeah, 100%. Sometimes, no matter how difficult the task may be, it just makes sense to migrate to a new tool, even when it's your CRM. This is a really big task, and there's a lot of potential gotchas along the way. Let me give you a couple tips to help make sure you don't botch your migration. First, make sure you have actually tested the new product, done a proof of concept, using it with your current stack, and ensure you aren't just buying the hype sauce the sales rep is selling you. I have learned firsthand many times that the sales rep will say a tool does X, but once I bought it and started integrating it, we found out that it only does about 5% of what I was sold. Next, make sure the team is actually gonna be able to run the new tool. Don't get me wrong, when you buy a tool and no one on your team can admin it, I make a lot more money. But in the big picture, you should be trying to buy tools your team can actually administrate. Not to mention, you need to be able to recruit new people who can run that tool too. Knowing how you will staff the management of your stack is very important when buying a new tool. And finally, stop to think if the grass is greener on the other side. In many cases, people buy a new tool and migrate all of their data over to realize they should have just watered the grass with their first tool. Switching tools is not easy, and it costs a lot of money. And in most cases, it's cheaper to fix the current tool you have compared to switching it out for another shiny object. And don't forget, test out the new tool in a staging environment before you flip the switch and turn the old tool off. There will likely be hiccups, and it's best to figure out them before the new tool becomes the standard. Okay, enough of my tips. Let's get back to Spud. Now, let's switch gears a little bit. You know, help us better understand what does ClickBank do and like what's the problem that they are solving? We have three main groups of people that we really help. Um, I'm going to start way on our more like mass volume D to C play. And it's basically people every day have the notion of, hey, it'd be really cool to make money online, right? We see thousands of people you know, embark on that journey, start that journey every single day all across the web. And they run into various models, you know, for everything from drop shipping to, to affiliate marketing is, is one of those ones that people will, will discover. And the reason is because affiliate marketing provides a unique opportunity to establish a business for yourself with pretty low investment. You don't have to own a product, for example. You can, you can promote a product that already exists, already has people buying it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that group of people who are new to affiliate marketing is a is a huge volume of users that go and create ClickBank accounts every single day because they go out on the web and they they do that research. They find that guru with that YouTube video and and ClickBank is a piece of that you know that whole picture that they paint. So they hear ClickBank, they hear it everywhere, and they come to us just to figure out what the heck we're about. They sign up for an account. And that is a huge group of people that we point towards an education product that we call Spark. And Spark is designed to take those people from, I want to make money online, right, to understanding affiliate marketing and the space and how it works and how ClickBank you know, fits into that picture and gives them the tools to identify and establish a traffic source to be able to actually make money in the space. So from there, look at that picture. And it, I, I mentioned 
people who own a product or an offer. And for us, it's direct response is, is our category. We're a category king in that area. We help someone with a direct response offer or a product basically start, manage, and scale a performance affiliate program. So that's the second group. The third group is what I just referenced, those affiliates. So performance affiliates can range from anything from someone with a really large email list that is in a certain niche and category, all the way through a very talented and and skilled media buyer who can scale traffic through paid efforts and you name it, platform, to a social media influencer to, uh, you could keep going and going and going, but there are people that have a traffic source and the traffic source is around a certain interest topic pain point. And what they decide to do with ClickBank is use our affiliate marketplace to identify offers that are safe, high converting, and high paying. And they can grab an affiliate link for one of those products and promote that to their audience and make a high percentage commission. So those are the three groups, basically newbies to affiliate marketing, affiliates, and then product owners. Now, with these two different stacks, right, you have this direct-to-consumer stack, and it sounds like a, a pretty pure-play B2B stack, right? Like, mm-hmm. how are these two stacks unique, and, like, how do one work with each other? Like, are they connected? There, there are some big shared pieces of the stack, and there are also some unique pieces. So, for example, at the very top, you have, on that D2C play, things like YouTube, Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, and SEO are kind of like big levers there for us versus on our B2B motion, we have a pretty strong focus on a podcast actually. So like Go Podcast, I love I love this whole community and we found a lot of value there as well. So we're, we're pretty heavily invested. It's called Affiliated. I'm actually sitting in one of the studios. They film that every single week here and we're investing heavily there as well as LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a huge channel for that B2B motion. Well, the B2B side, right? are you using Salesforce there or are you a HubSpot shop? Yeah, so that's an interesting thing to look at. That's a great example. So there is a Salesforce. We have a Salesforce um, side of the house on the sales org for sure. That is where those B2B contacts live. And also like a huge part of our Salesforce is as you were listening to us and how we organize our client tiers, when you reach Platinum, client management is a huge part of our our business and getting more wallet share, all that kind of stuff. So we're constantly selling into our into our accounts, and um, every platinum client gets an account manager, and so they use Salesforce heavily to you know organize those relationships. And uh, we have a pretty robust Salesforce and HubSpot bi-directional integration. Now, how does how does one go from like the D 2 C side to the B two B side, right? Like. There has to be somebody who's come through that course and is now like the Mac Daddy of elite affiliates. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool because it's a young program, to be honest. Like the program started in the end of 2020. It was November 2020 when it launched. From there, yeah, absolutely. There has already been really cool stories where people have literally, with no affiliate experience, entered Spark, gotten that education, that foundational knowledge, They've been able to get mentorship through that community as well and kind of like grow their skills and figure it out. And yeah, over the course of a year, year and a half, they've ascended into platinum. We are seeing that. And uh, as far as how, I would say this. We, as ClickBank, 
we want to do a much better job of being a big part of that. As I said, right now it's very focused on that account create to first paycheck. But one of the most exciting areas of opportunity for our marketing team and our organization in general, even the product, is to do a better job of helping them from from that paycheck journey all the way into that platinum client category and tier. It's a huge, huge focus for us uh, this year. When you think of Spark, Spark, is that built in like an LMS? Like uh, what's the platform that you guys have the course in? Yeah, that's a great, another great highlight of like a different part of that stack. So it is, it's built in Thinkific and uh, there's a pretty, pretty tight integration between ClickBank and Thinkific that we've built uh, for that Spark product. And it's, it's a pretty cool, you know, you sign up for an account and it really integrates right into our, our Thinkific LMS and start consuming courses and, it's it's cool to mention we actually you know for that education product we it's hosted our the order form is all clickbank we use clickbank for all that tracking for subscription rebilling all that stuff it's a clickbank product so that's kind of a cool way we drink our own Kool-Aid there okay let's take a step back for a second clickbank's primary offering is a marketplace for affiliates who provide direct response marketing for brands If you know anything about marketplaces, you know that supply and demand is a two-sided coin. You need to make sure that you have enough demand on both sides of the marketplace and enough supply on both sides of the marketplace as well. If you have too many affiliates and not enough brands, the affiliates will be unhappy and try other options. This is why ClickBank has a strong B2B sales motion to attract enough brands, aka supply, for their affiliates, aka demand. And as you might imagine, if you don't have enough affiliates, then the brands will find other companies to provide them with affiliates to promote their products. To ensure ClickBank can fulfill on the supply side of affiliates to meet the demand from the brands, they literally created their own pipeline of new affiliates to enter the marketplace using their online course. This is a strategy you can use too if you're a marketplace, or you can just use the online course strategy to drive more demand for your business. As an example, segment.com offers a free analytics academy and course to help upskill people to actually use their product correctly. Again, they are creating the demand for their product by educating the market. Once those people pass the course, they're most likely to use segment for their analytics, just like the people who take ClickBank's course are going to use them for their affiliate marketplace. Now, when you think about like, you started using WordPress really, really early on in your career. It sounds like for the past 10 years is like you were using WordPress. Even your agency (laughs) did it. Are you using WordPress at ClickBank at all or other tools? Yeah. No, ClickBank.com is a a WordPress site. Our front end is all WordPress and absolutely, it's still there. Why are you so loyal to that product per se? Oh man, loyal... You know, early on, it started as just a, it's a great CMS that it's similar in HubSpot in the way that it's highly flexible. There's a lot of cool integrations, plugins that WordPress offers you. It's also just a great foundationally sound CMS when it comes to just basic SEO and on-page stuff. You know, it checks a lot of the, just the basic boxes there. I think it also goes back to when you're in a marketing team environment, it's so easy, especially if, if you have either a good agency or a good in-house you know, web dev arm where the way that you can structure your, your WordPress dashboards and your editors, it's friendly enough that you can have any of your team members go in and edit pages and it's accessible that way. I think that's why it still has a, a near and dear place in my, in my stack. 
Now I hear a lot of people getting all hip and moving over to Webflow because it's mm-hmm. super hip or they're going the headless route and they're going to mm-hmm. Contently, right? Or, or Contentful. I don't even remember what it's called. Contentful, yeah, I think yeah. it is. Any opinions there? Because like I think people get caught up a little bit in the hype. I'm still a big WordPress fan. I'm not the biggest fan of Webflow. I think WordPress still got it. I think they have the category. I would agree with you. I, I think there's a lot of hype around it. And when you really look at, hey, here are the the really foundational value props that it's how it's different and what it would actually offer you, it's not hugely significant in my opinion. Enough for me to say, oh yeah, this is a, a total game changer. Yeah, right. I, once again, hype, man. I call it hype sauce. Yeah. So people yeah. get caught in the hype sauce and the next thing you know, they just spend a million dollars on something they don't even have to use. So <laughs> now, you know, when you think about the top of your funnel, right, what are the tools that you're using to basically collect users, track prospects and things like that? What's the tools at the top of the funnel? So big ones, WordPress, Typeform and HubSpot are probably the big three there as far as uh, contact collection. Interesting. And then are you using Typeform in tandem with HubSpot forms? Like, is that how that's set up? Yeah. So really interesting thing going on right now with ClickBank is that we use Typeform as kind of like a pre-signup experience that we then tailor your your journey, kind of first recommended steps kind of a thing. So if you go to clickbank.com, we used to just throw people into an account create and like just send them on their way. And a lot of them would just fall into the abyss and never, you know, never learn to fly. So what we're doing today is we're collecting a lot more about who they are, what they intend to do, the jobs to be done through a start here experience is what we call it. And that is temporarily right now housed in type form. And the reason we did that is because it goes back to a business decision. Our, our dev and product team, I mean, they have all kinds of amazing and valuable projects that they could be working on. And uh, we really wanted to improve our onboarding but it's hard to like take away resources without any kind of sound quantitative data to like back up the claims, you know? And so this was our first step. We wanted to collect some data and do some learning before we invest hundreds of thousands, millions into rebuilding a, an onboarding experience without any data to back it up. So we're currently in that kind of a phase with Typeform. WordPress site, I love it. You and I are like two cuts of the same cloth, right? So WordPress <laughs> site, you're shoving these people in the HubSpot. Now, when you get people in the HubSpot, now HubSpot you're using as the marketing automation tool, but you also have Salesforce as a CRM. I mean, mm-hmm. what kind of challenges are you facing with those two kind of monolithic tools when it comes down to your really complex model? I'd say the challenge boils down to we're not doing a good enough job of getting from you know, those really early on mass volume contexts to ascend all the way up. I think that's the crux of our, if we as a as an organization can figure that, that self-guided journey out and provide a lot more support and education through that process, that would be kind of the next chapter for us. Now on the B2B side of the business, right? So you're using Salesforce, right? Salesforce is a big behemoth. Yeah. But what other tools is the, the B2B team really using on that side? I mean, sales obviously has their, their bag of worms and stuff like that. But what are the, what's yeah. the tech that's powering that side? Lately for us, Gong. Gong has been really cool. It's been a great way f- for our sales team to go back and share, hey, marketing team, like listen to this part of this conversation. It's super interesting. Like Look at what they highlighted here. Look at this challenge, this job to be done, or this lack of understanding and education, stuff like that. It's just been super helpful. So they tag. We have a... A monthly call, honestly, dedicated to that with our sales team. We all get together and we review 
like, hey, here's what we heard on these gong calls, like, and we ask them questions. It's just immensely helpful for one, for our marketing team to stay in touch with our customer, but two, for our sales and marketing team just to stay in touch with current challenges. So gong's been huge. Another B2B kind of piece um, that we leverage uh, more recently has been uh, metadata. Metadata is a, an amazing platform for audiencing and then campaign automation that's driven by really cool feedback loops that come directly either from Salesforce or HubSpot back into, into the platform. We currently are subscribed to just their audience building. And the reason we decided to do that was related to that affiliate-focused ICP. So going out and trying to find elite and experienced affiliates that aren't currently promoting offers on our platform. We use metadata to basically build audiences that are pretty technographic driven, like so around tools that they use, like ad trackers and more complex stacks that those affiliates actually use. And then we go out and target them based on tools that they use to try to basically get back in front of them many times. Because a lot of them know about ClickBank, but they don't know what ClickBank looks like today. There's been a lot of changes in the last four years. Yeah, for sure. Now, are there any challenges that you're currently facing in the stack right now that you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that's a current challenge for us and a focus with marketing and product specifically is doing a better job of having the product experience also support that. So within our stack, it's like, how do we get the product and behavior of all of these accounts to send the right triggers over to HubSpot to allow our team to really make that a much more personalized and, and tailored experience and more, more in sync too. Right now they're kind of like disconnected. I'd say that's a huge current challenge is doing a much better job of integrating in-product experiences and communication and motivations, milestones, rewards, things like that, and connecting you know, behavior in the product with marketing experiences. I definitely think it's a huge challenge. You're not the only one trying to solve it. So uh, yeah. there's definitely a lot of people that have a similar experience and integration is still really, really hard to make all those things work. This has been an amazing conversation. I appreciate all, all the time that you've taken to kind of share all these different tools with us and as well as some of the stories that you've had in your career. This has been really, really helpful and I appreciate you uh, being able to join us today. Absolutely. I, I, honestly, this has been a huge, huge honor. It's, it was a blast to talk to you and, and thanks for yeah nerding out with me. <laughs> Bud's interview was fascinating. Not only is he working in both the B2B and D2C worlds, he's also responsible for the growth and expansion of both of those groups in the marketplace. As we covered, their course Spark has been a great way to develop their affiliates and help them climb the ladder to being an elite affiliate. You too can create an online course using products like Thinkific, Teachable, Coassemble, and many others if you want to create a long-lasting relationship with your brand, build an email list, or create multiple touchpoint with your potential clients. Just like Spud, you can use this strategy to improve the metrics in your business. Things like increased adoption, higher ACV, and reduced churn are all metrics you can improve if you had a free course. It's definitely an idea to consider if you're looking to up your game from that PDF download you have or those simple blog posts. But that's not all Spud is doing. He's also working closely with the sales team and staying aligned and informed with what they are learning. Him sitting and listening to Gong.io call recordings is a key way he learns how to improve his own strategy from the sales team. His partnership with sales is key to his success. I wonder, when was the last time you sat down with your sales leader or sales team and just listened? You didn't become defensive and you just heard them out. I will bet you should try to do that again right now and get the deets you need to run your marketing effectively. 
That's it for now, though. Hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, and if you ever want to give feedback on what you want to hear on The Stack, just shoot me a note on LinkedIn. You can join me each week on The Stack, and because you're interested in this podcast, the next step is to check out my online course of how you can build your marketing stack. Just visit stackcourse.io. All right, I'll see you next week. Thank you.